Travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Few modes of travel hold as much allure, intrigue, and romance as going from here to there by train. Riding the rails has been a mainstay for roughly two centuries, and as lines were built, formerly inaccessible areas of the world were open to anyone who could afford a ticket. Nowadays, high-speed rail projects are making traveling by train faster than by airplane on some short-to-medium-haul voyages, with more and more countries updating their systems. On this episode, we'll chat with James Clark about recent and upcoming rail projects in Asia and the ones you can use to help plan your next trip. From Bangkok, Thailand, I'm Scott Coates, and with me as always is... Trevor Ranges from Phnom Penh, Cambodia. Although I'm kind of transitioning to Siem Rip now which isn't as train friendly. Not that we have many trains here in Phnom Penh. I miss the Bangkok trains. Is this, is the sky train part of your life still? Do you still ride trains in Thailand at all? You know what? No, not in the last few years because I live about 1.3 K from my last job. And I used to just ride a little motorbike back and forth. Yeah. So I, you know what? I rarely use them, but they are great and they're packed. I remember in 99 when the sky train opened here, it took years for it really to be busy, but now any of the train systems are really busy. They're really used. And, and I do get on them once in a while, but it just happens because of proximity to what I end up doing in my life and having my little motorbike. I don't ride them a lot, but they are very, very popular. Yeah, definitely a great thing to happen to Bangkok. And, uh, you know, trains are part of travel, obviously. And uh, in Asia, it's such an interesting aspect of travel because they're different in every country like i've ridden the train in thailand and in vietnam and here in cambodia and and we not long ago episode 108 uh we had uh, riding asian trains with the man in seat 61 which was like our first awesome yeah that was our first episode really just devoted to train travel and and it was Mm. great because you got to share some of your like amazing train stories and and uh it is such a fun and fascinating way to travel and and here in asia it's it's very distinct it's distinct in that it's often painfully slow and (laughs) outdated but you know it it, it'll get there and i know that cambodia is upgrading theirs and and you talked about the rail systems within bangkok already and you know in in many respects it's surprising how few connecting routes there are really between the countries because you had the british and the french in this region and they are famous for building rail lines, but it didn't stick kind of like it has in India, but you've had, I guess, a lot of regional instability and some pretty horrible things happen in in recent history in some of those countries. But I do find it kind of interesting. There isn't just good lines that connect, especially in these former colonies of the British and French that typically left good rail legacies. Yeah. You know, again, right. You look, as you mentioned Europeans and you think about like, there's the Eurail pass and like getting around Europe by train is such an obvious thing for travel and here like you can get around thailand to certain destinations by train you can get around vietnam there are some trains in cambodia like the man in seat 61 talked about the 
trains in Myanmar and stuff, but getting between countries there, there hasn't really been. And so like, no. you know, our guest today, like checking out his website, which is awesome. And you should go to our show notes, talktravelasia.com and check out the links to go to our guest's website. Cause he's showing what's happening now with like all these new train lines that are connecting all these different countries. And, and, and it's amazing the development that's going on and in, in the future of train travel here in Asia. Yeah, I hope it's going to be real slick. And remember, Trevor and I do this podcast for the love of travel and sharing with others, but it does cost money. So please show us some financial love. The easy way to do that is to go to patreon.com, search Talk Travel Asia, and you can sponsor the show for as little as a dollar a month upwards or way up to like 25 bucks a month, which Patrick A does. Thank you, Patrick A. And he and other patrons get a special little something in between each regular episode. Trevor and I will record a short, say, patron episode. Actually, we talked recently about a cycling trip I did from Hui Hin to Chumpon, or we might share photos to become a patron and help keep it going. And hey, why don't we just bring James in and get to it? James Clark is an engineering enthusiast who's been running a travel blog since beginning his global travels in 2003. He contacted us to share his love of train projects, which are featured on his website, Future Southeast Asia, a city development blog covering urban design, infrastructure, heritage conservation, and transport in Asia. And we jumped at the chance. He joins us online from Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. Thanks for making time for us, James. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, we always like to start at the very beginning because most people listening probably haven't seen your blog and don't know anything about you. So where are you originally from and what did you do before moving to Asia? Well, I'm originally from Melbourne, Australia, and I've been sort of living the expat working abroad life since 1999 when I moved to London and I just started working and traveling then. And by... 2003 I kind of realized that I wanted to work and travel everywhere I went so I sort of started learning web design and how to travel while I could work so that was the ultimate solution and I I just started specializing in travel publishing at that point because I figured well I might as well roll all of my loves together so I started doing travel publishing and making money that way and then after a while I thought I'd better Put a travel blog together so in 2009 i started nomadic notes and that's about when i went full-time in living in southeast asia so around about 2009 2010 i was in thailand a lot and traveling around in the region uh, and i was just writing about general travel but over the years as i kept writing more content it became apparent that i was more interested in you know, transport and infrastructure in Southeast Asia, especially this is such a developing region. It's, it's happening so fast here and you go to new cities and there's like all these things happening. So I wanted to put words into like what's happening there. So this is why I've now started this other side, Future Southeast Asia, which is very specifically about projects that are happening in the region. One thing I thought of when we were having you on, because we did have a recent episode about train travel, and here in Cambodia, like there, there's a new road from Batambang up to Bente Minche in the northwest near Thailand. That's part of this big Belt Road initiative, and and to some degree, it's mm. like road, like road development is so important here now that trains are somewhat minimal in comparison but but going back to your story you're from melbourne and i've been to melbourne australia and they have like cable cars like the like san francisco style except without the hills <laughs> and so i'm, I'm yeah. curious whether was it like 
coming from Melbourne where you have these like trains still in the city that somehow made you interested in that facet of, of infrastructure? For sure. I always say that a, a, a sign of a civilized city is one that has trams in it. So because uh, I, I spent a lot of time in Europe and did Eurail and traveled everywhere by tra- train there. So I just really became to appreciate train travel. So then coming here where, you know, there's hardly any trains uh, for long distance in certain regions. And then I think there was a few long distance bus rides that broke my spirit. So mm. like there's that overnight bus from the border from Thailand and Laos to, to Luang Prabang. It's like 17 hours overnight on a really bad road. And, you know, there's an overnight one in Sumatra I did where I was like, oh, my God, I'll never do that again. And I probably thought, yeah, I probably thought, you know, why, why isn't there a train here? So I would start going, well, why isn't there a train here? So I'd start reading about it and next thing you know, there's all these resources for, like, plans to build railways. Like, you'll find these old documents from the Asia Development Bank from, like, the 1990s where there's these PDF files online where you can see all these fanciful maps of, like, projects, like, going through Laos and Cambodia and I was like, wow, this would be great if this happened. So then I just started following the news and really archiving everything that's happening and what's going to happen. So, James, I just want to understand a bit more about you to, to drive this forward. Is Do you come from an engineering background? Or, like, what's your professional background? And then what brought you to Asia first? Uh, I'm more of a publisher. So I more do research than engineering in that regard. So my specialty has been to, you know, collate all the information that's out there because there's, there's not much information in a handy resource, like everything is scattered everywhere. So, for example, if you wanted to find information about a, uh, like the China Lao Railway for years, it was just all these information written in hidden files from development banks and such. Or you'll find all these old archive newsletter, uh, newspaper articles about it. So, my mission has been to sort of put everything into one resource. So, if you're interested to find out about it you can go there and go okay this is everything we know about it here's all the maps here's all the graphics and go from there sorry to interrupt but i'm just looking at your site at the same time and i was looking at that article that you wrote about the china lao railway and the way i see it is just that it's going to be available in chinese perhaps but not necessarily in english because the chinese and the lao Governments don't really care to tell the Western world, perhaps, that these trains are going to be opening. And and you're just someone who happens to be interested in it enough to be like, hey, there's going to be a train that you can take from China to Laos. And, uh, and right. get, on, get on you, as the Australians say. Well, I've, got a, um, I've started a Facebook group called um, Southeast Asia Railways, and it's actually pretty good because there's a lot of people there just dumping information there about uh, the railways. And they... There's a lot of stuff about the China Lao Railway, and I just saw one of the pictures of the train stations there, where they've got the station name written in Chinese and Lao, and they don't have the uh, Romanized name for it. So I was like, "Wow, yeah. there you go." So, <laughs> but there will be as soon that's going to be open apparently in December this year. So the date hasn't changed for about a year. That they, they're saying it's on track, and they're already doing test runs on it. Mm. So be sure that as soon as you know, travel is open up there. There's going to be, you know, heaps of bloggers going there making how to travel by train there. So even if there's no, not very good English resources, there'll be soon enough blogs writing about it. We're going to go through a variety of projects that you've written about on your site. But in a nutshell, before we get to those specific projects in depth, like where do you think 
train travel in Asia, or you could just focus on Southeast Asia, is headed in the next 10 to 15 years? The most exciting things, the two most exciting places are sort of, I guess, routes that are emanating from uh, Bangkok. So you've got like the new Bangsu Grand Station that they're building in the north of the city that's going to replace uh, Hua Lampong. But then when you see what they're building there, it's really going to uh, facilitate train travel that just wouldn't fit at the old station. You know, so eventually you'll turn up there and you'll see you'll see on the departure board, you know, there's a train going to Phnom Penh and then one going to Luang Prabang and then Kunming. Is there a, like a BTS or an MRT station that connects to it? Because that's always, that was the problem with that airport train that they built in Bangkok. Uh, at Makassan maybe or you know some of those train stations they didn't link up with the other train networks so that may be one of the challenges perhaps in in these Southeast Asian train networks is if they are have different ownerships or don't necessarily align so neatly yeah that's true uh, and, and Thailand has certainly had a history of not you know having all the different companies talking to each other and getting organized at the very start so you've got like BTS and MRT in Bangkok, for example, how they didn't align the stations nicely. And the, and the train, the airport train is another good example. And they have extended the MRT to Bangsu, but it's like an 800 metre passageway. So they yeah. had to build a, they had to build a, like this walkway to connect it to the station. So it's not perfect. Like it's not like. At the same time, passageway. if you've ever been to the United air terminal in Chicago, it's like 20 little people mover things. Like there's, it's so far apart, you know? So, but I mean, you were mentioning the Eurail pass. I mean, I guess that's kind of the dream, isn't it? That like there would be trains throughout Asia and you could just sort of hop on and hop off and travel around Asia by train. That's kind of, I mean, the Chinese aren't doing it to, because they are the major backer financially for a lot of these train projects and and they're not doing it for tourism but like there there seems like there could be some opportunity in the in the decade ahead right yeah well i've actually on nomadic notes i I made a map of current and proposed railways in southeast asia so i made a map showing all the current lines in black and all the proposed lines in red so it gives you an overview of what a future network like a URail network would look like in the future where you might be traveling around and traveling by train in that way. You, before we recorded this, you mentioned some key lines that you're quite interested in and you sort of mentioned it a little earlier. Can you tell us about the China to Vientiane line? Like where does it start? And tell us a little bit about that line. This is like a long held dream by uh, China to connect Kunming into Southeast Asia. Basically, Kunming is going to be the capital, the Chinese capital for Southeast Asia connections. So from Kunming, you can go to Hanoi with uh, two railways. There was originally a, a single line, and then they're also building a line to Myanmar where they've built a, a very difficult train to the border, and they're just waiting for permission to build a line there, which is obviously decades away at this point, obviously, with what's happening there. So Laos has become the the big one. And that's like an enormous project because it's, you know, the China-Lao railway is about 414 kilometres and over half of it is bridges and tunnels. Like it's such a mountainous part of the world. Like you can't believe how much work has gone into this. And to happen so quickly, they've got like the most experienced railway builders just in Lao building all these uh, tunnels and, and flyovers and bridges. And I believe that 
once it's finished, it'll be like one of these rail journeys that'll be featured in the top 10 rail journeys in the world because you'll be coming out of a tunnel and then you're in the mountains of northern Laos and you'll just be going, wow, look at this. This is an icon experience to behold. It'll also be interesting to see how it opens up tourism in the north there because, you know, those a lot of those places are just so hard to get to by bus or van. It's just, you know, puts a lot of people off. So you could go up to the north and get off on the train and maybe, you know, tourism developers will go, well, we've got a little village that's an hour's drive away from here you can come and stay at. So it, it's all these potential opportunities that could happen. Okay, you know, we, we've talked a bit about Laos recently. And, and when we talked about the train and being able to see this train line across like this beautiful countryside. And one of the, the amazing things about Laos for me is just like this spectacular countryside and to see like a, a big high speed trail, like a train passing through there is such a jarring juxtaposition almost the way I've heard it explained from people who have seen the train line, you know, and like, it's not such a bad thing to have this high speed train going through there. And the, and the landscape's still incredibly beautiful, but like, uh, this is a, a very modern development for a very undeveloped country. So do you think that like this train line will be ultimately a good or a bad thing for Lao tourism specifically? Uh, well, first of all, it's not a high-speed railway because it's 160 kilometres. But, but, yeah, definitely it's going to stand out because it's uh, there's a lot of elevated sections. Mm. And, and by Southeast Asian standards, it's certainly fast. So there's a lot of things we don't know. Like, you know, some uh, commentators are saying that, you know, Laos might fall into a debt trap like because they have such a mm. low GDP and this is like such a big amount of expenditure for what they earn per year um, the, or the bigger problem might be we don't know the terms of the construction like they were given like how much land did they give to China like this were they each station China were given like x amount of land for like maybe 50 years lease or something so we don't know how much land and how long so they that's these are other things that we don't know we won't know and for years to come how how bad a deal Laos wrote for themselves, basically. So how quick are we talking about, like from the, the Chinese border with northern Laos, say to the capital Vientiane, like right. how quickly could you cover that? Well, it's it's 414 kilometres and it's 160 kilometres an hour. So it's going to be about three hours. <laughs> so there'll be, I imagine there'll be express trains where they just stop at the four main stations. And then there'll okay. be, um, there must be like, there will be local stations because there's 30 stations in total eventually and some of those are just cargo stations um, and some of the stations aren't built yet. So I imagine there will be like a fast train and then it will be like Europe where you get off at the main stations and there's a, like a little stopping or station train that fills in the gaps in between. So in theory, if Thailand then builds a good train line to the border with Vientiane and Nong Kai, yes. you could conceivably be going from Bangkok to Luang Prabang in you know, four or five hours or something for a long weekend. Is that right? That's what's happening. Yeah, they're building that now. So there's the first stage is uh, Bangkok to Nakhon Ratchasima, and then they'll they'll build the second board, the second stage to Nong Kai, and then they've got to build another bridge because there's the current bridge with the the small train they have there wouldn't be suitable for this, the purposes. So, but that's the purpose, China's purpose. They want to 
the dream was the Singapore Kunming Railway, uh, basically connecting a line all the way down to Singapore. But there's problems with gauge there because there's the st- section in uh, Malaysia and southern Thailand is on the one metre gauge, which is what most of Southeast Asia uses. The Laos Railway is on the standard gauge, which is like what China and Europe use, which is like 1.435 metres. And so China, uh, Thailand is now having to rebuild a new railway next to the old railway to build this standard gauge railway to meet this line. That's been underway so, for a while. Even I, I, I yeah, have been like uh, stopping and starting for years. Yeah. So eventually the train's going to get to the NTN and just is sitting there waiting for Thailand to finish their part of the deal. Huh. You know, and now like uh, as you're talking about that, I was looking at the Myanmar to Vietnam East-West Economic Corridor Railway, and that passes through Khon Kent. And if we're talking about like a Bangkok, like Singapore, Bangkok, China, that's probably going to follow that same line from Bangkok up to Vientiane through Khon Kent. Yeah. So Khon Kent is going to be like this nexus maybe of this uh, east-west railway. And and understanding that Myanmar is undergoing political uncertainty right now. But it's kind of interesting to me that it, the railway would skip Cambodia, which makes sense. Yeah, there's actually been a, uh, <laughs> there's been a second east-west corridor proposed by uh, Japan, which would go below, it would go from the Daiwai port in Myanmar through Bangkok, and it would go through Siem Reap, mm. and then through to Vietnam to Quinon. Uh, so that's a second east-west railway alternative. And like the east-west that go, that's currently planned, it'll probably be built in stages. So there's like the Savannah Cat. Laobao Railway, which almost got started a few years ago. They actually had a um, construction ceremony and started to build it and then it just stopped. Uh, but that one is, they're talking of starting that at the end of the year. Uh, I think that they might, once this China Lao Railway is finished, they're going to uh, find something else to start. So it would be interesting times to see what's happening there. So that corridor, east-west economic one, like I know it hasn't started and it's a it's a concept, but I mean, this would be mainly for cargo, or would it be passenger travel as well? That you could go Vientiane to Myanmar, and and then what's the likelihood it's going to happen in the next ten to twenty years? It'll be done in stages. So I think the uh, eastern stage, where you've got Laos building as a train to get to a, a port in Vietnam, basically that's their biggest uh, problem because they're like the landlocked country. So would it actually be beneficial for them to find an outlet on the um, in Vietnam to send goods from. So quicker than sending stuff down to down to Bangkok or wherever to get send stuff out. So uh, like I said, once like this Lao China railway took so long to plan and all of a sudden they just started building it and in, in the space of five years it's going to be finished. So they might have an appetite to keep going and just get a train line from Vientiane to port somewhere in vietnam okay and you know looking again back at the map and everything going through bangkok and you mentioned earlier about like the new the grand central station and in bangkok like i i haven't lived in bangkok now for a few years and hualampong is just like this iconic thing and it is really central and now the, the subway goes right underneath there and it seems like Every time they open a new bus station or train station, they put it somewhere in, in outside of the central area of the city. So I don't know why they can call it, it 
you know. So what's up with the new train station? I, I haven't heard anything. The new station is just, I guess, the biggest block of land they could find that's on the line. So it actually it, it suits the purpose because it will uh, become part of the new three airport high-speed railway they're building. So Don Wang, Savannah Boom and Utapau Airport are going to be connected on one railway line, a high-speed line, like a true high-speed railway, and that'll go through Bangsu. And so basically, you know, Pattaya will become a, a commuter suburb because it'll be on that same line and it'll be like it'll stop at Makassan or Don Wang and then they've put Bangsu there because it just fits in. Otherwise, you would never be able to put it at Hualampong, even though it's a much more easier place for, for most travellers to get to. We're waiting for, they're building uh, the two commuter railways, the dark red and light red SRT lines in Bangkok. One of the lines they're taught, it's meant to go from Bangsu to Hualampong. So it would have been better if they just built that now. So at least people who are arriving at Hualampong, they can like get a modern train to the new station. But they haven't done that yet. With high-speed rail, I've been on high-speed rail, but it sounds like if you're going to build a high-speed rail line, you need a very specific sort of station and setup because you said it could not go to Hulampong. Why is that? The high-speed lines are standard gauge, and there's going to be a few different lines, and there's only a certain amount. You've got, like, the choke point getting into the station. Like, you've, you've got all that built-up area. You've got canals, and you've got all the informal housing there that they still haven't cleared up. And even if they clear that land... You're only going to get like two lines in there probably because you're on one line going into Hualampong and then it all spreads out to the different platforms. And, you know, if you, you've probably been stuck at, uh, outside of Hualampong waiting to get in while another train passes. So all that, that stuff happens all the time there. So it's, it's just not enough room for a modern station when you think that like, you know, four trains are there with a 1,000 people each, you know, it would be just be mayhem. How far away are we actually from that high-speed rail from, say, Don Muang Airport to being able to hit Pattaya, like you said, as a commuter place? Like, I mean, that'll be neat. Yeah, that'll be definitely like maybe 40 minutes or something like that. I'm not sure. The, they haven't said the exact times, but that's like a, you know, they're talking over two, about 250 kilometres an hour. So, and that's on a dedicated track the whole way. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be a game changer. It might even turn Utapao into a... Um, uh, gateway airport for Bangkok because it's just easy to get to. And when's that actually going to be done? Do you know? Well, it's been, you know, like every project in Thailand, they they keep saying, oh, it's going to start this year. And that's why I've got these uh, archives of the news because you can go through it and see when they said they were going to start. And it should have started six years ago, for example. The last news was this week where they said they were finishing land clearance. That's the biggest problem in most uh, big cities in Southeast Asia is just clearing the land because you people just um, you know encroach on the railway lines and and moving people in a fair manner is a very difficult process. So it takes years to sort of get everyone moved out of the way. So speaking of that and clearing land and finding space for railways, on your website, you have some information about the Trans-Sulawesi Railway. And for our listeners, again, if you go to our show notes, we'll have maps and images and links to uh, 
the future Southeast Asia.com website and some of this information. But Sulawesi is this massive island that's part of Indonesia that's got this crazy shape and is famous for having jungle and you know like some of the oldest rainforests and stuff and 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 they're building some trains there on this island and i'm looking at a map of it and i'm like wow i mean that's great indonesia is doing a great job on the infrastructure but like what made you interested in the trans sulawesi railway is it just because of like an extension of all things trains asia or do you actually hope to travel to sulawesi and, and you want to ride the train there uh yeah i think it, it's on one hand is an extension of just my interest in seeing development in Southeast Asia. And also, you know, as far back as I can remember being a kid having a map on the wall, Sulawesi was always just the most fascinating island. You know, like these, like, um, it looks like a monster, you know, it's just like amazing. Um, and I went there a few years ago, I went to Makassar and I got a bus, you know, to the north, a few hours, a whole day north basically, but it wasn't that far in distance. And I went to where they have those um, where they put the coffins in the caves in mm. the in the cliff tops, and you know went and saw a funeral there, and you know it was quite a spectacle. And I was like, wow, I'd really love to get to the other peninsulas one day. So I really, um, you know, who knows? I even if I live to a hundred, I might not see it lived, might not see it fully finished. Uh, but at the moment, they've got a one hundred kilometres section that they say is going to be finished next year. You know, so the the journey of a a Trans-Sulawesi railway begins the first hundred kilometres, and then there's like sixteen hundred to go. So we'll see. And, and if if it does happen, and if we can travel again, I'll go there and I was right. I'll ride those one hundred kilometres to a little right town on. in the middle of nowhere just to see it. And then we'll see what happens. James, I realize that building a, a train line in Japan is completely different from building one in Sulawesi, but is there a bit of a rule of thumb as to how much it costs and how long it takes, say, per kilometer for a standard sort of line versus, say, a high speed? I mean, is, is there a kind of a formula? Uh, it varies from country to country, obviously, and I've, I've tried to work this out with metro lines because I'm following the metro building in Ho Chi Minh City and that one is gone over budget and over and delayed by a number of years. So I built a a table that compared all of the first metro lines in in Asia. So it was a better comparison because it's a bit hard to compare with like the lines in Japan because their lines are so old and they're just getting updated continually. So it's not really comparable to to compare a line from 60 years ago to like you can get it's better off to just look at something like in uh Guangzhou or Shanghai that were built in the 90s and then we can that's a better comparison you know it, it yeah it all varies but um obviously the first lines are always the hardest because everyone's just learning everything and um trying to work out how it all works out yeah, I, I, that makes perfect sense to me. I lived in Los Angeles in the late 80s and early 90s, and, and LA is famous for not having any trains. So now that you're in, in Vietnam, in Ho Chi Minh City, apparently they're building a metro system there. And I lived in Ho Chi Minh City on and off more than a decade ago. And uh, the, the, if any city needs a metro system, it's got to be that one, right? So so tell us a little bit about what's going on there. Is, is What's the status of the development of uh, an underground public rail system in Ho Chi Minh? Ho Chi Minh and uh, Hanoi are the you know, two cities that are verging on 
you know, 10 million people. So, you know, they're getting close to mega city status. So they're the biggest cities in Southeast Asia that don't have any kind of uh, urban railway system. Like you go to Jakarta and Manila and they've both got, you know, a couple of uh, light rails and they've got the commuter lines there. Um, they're, not, they're not great, but they're like they're miles ahead of what, what they've got here. So, yeah, they, but, you know, Vietnam's obviously starting from scratch. They're starting back from further than anyone else, you know, from – so they've got a long way to go. So uh, something that's been planned for years and obviously there's still, um, you know, a lot of growing pain here to, to get it going. So hopefully the first Ho Chi Minh City metro line will be open at the end of next year. It was meant to be open like, you know, three years ago or something. So it's a bit far behind now. Look, Trevor's living in Cambodia, but I've over the years when I've gone, I remember probably seven, eight years ago driving to Kampot and seeing them kind of building the bed for the new rail line down there. And I've heard that they're building a rail line out uh, heading west towards Thailand. I mean, what's the status and situation and future of the upgrade to the rail system in Cambodia? Yeah, so they've basically renovated the old lines there. So the it's not like it's a fast system there. So they've just basically patched up the old system. So uh, I took the train to see Mookville a couple of years ago and it took ages, so, you know, much longer than a van would have taken. Just before, I think it was 2018, they finally built a line connecting Cambodia and Thailand, which had never happened before. So, you know, that was all ready to start receiving traffic and then, well, you know, 2020 happened. So hopefully down the track we'll be able to have uh, Bangkok to Phnom Penh uh, direct service, which would take it like a whole day, but that's a start at least. Yeah, you know, I sort of scoff at that, but I remember uh, back in 2001 we drove, you know, we had to take a boat from Siem Reap to Batambang because the road was so bad. And we dreamt, we dreamt of one day that there would be flights from Bangkok <laughs> to Syria, and then there was going to be a road and not a boat. Right. So, that, I mean, the, these things are happening. And for our listeners, I mean, I'm an American. We have very old infrastructure. We were earlier talking about Amtrak and how, like, uh, the train system in the United States. I mean, and I, I'm from Hawaii, and the train they're building in Hawaii is, like, it's like a billion dollars a mile or something ridiculous like that, how much they've spent on this thing. And it's not going to be done for another 20 years probably. But here in Asia, like things do happen quite quickly. Like Bangkok's Metro rail system, the SkyTrain and the subway revolutionized that city and it's still growing. The train travel is, is really going to, to make this region so much more integrated and easier to access. And, and this type of infrastructure is, is really going to change the, uh, everything here i think oh totally i mean i think it's not that long ago when the bts line in bangkok opened and you know any old timers that have been around that long can can tell you the transformation of the city and you know even my i'm in bangkok every year and just circumvent road just becomes a little bit taller every year i i go there because everyone just building next to the train line it's not just a train to get people from A to B. Like it's a seed of development that happens in neighborhoods and communities and cities that wherever these trains go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you have a look at uh, Bangkok neighborhoods. Like I look at like Ari, which, you know, was, you know, just a regular suburb. And now it's like, you know, because it's on a, on a BTS line, it's really hard to get a good place there now because it's so sought after. 
So James, thinking about a traveler, because we're at heart, a travel show is what should travelers kind of be the most excited about looking the most forward to in rail travel in Asia in the next, say, five years or so? Uh, well, another one that we should be looking out for that we haven't mentioned yet is the uh, Jakarta Bandung high-speed rail, which is going to be the first proper high-speed railway by the look of it in Southeast Asia, because uh, that one, hmm. you know, over 300 kilometres an hour. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about high-speed railway. And that's not a far distance, but if you're getting out of Jakarta by road, it takes far longer than it should take compared to the distance you've travelled. Yeah, this is a good way to, you know, escape the gravitational pull of Jakarta is by getting on a high-speed train to Bandung. And the, the plan is to extend it across Java so it'll get to Surabaya. Uh, so that would be uh, an interesting thing to see if that happens. So definitely the first stage is, you know, over 60% done or something like that. So that's well on the way to being done as well. And then once, yeah, like this China-Laos railway is finished, we can look forward to seeing how what's going to get built after that. Are they going to keep building? And maybe uh, even if we have to do two train trips, you're going to be getting the train from Bangkok to, you know, Vang Vien for the weekend. So you'll be uh, partying in the in the river there and then uh, coming back on the week during the week. I don't know about that, but I'm checking out your website again, and it's awesome. You did a great job. Like, good job on the website. Really cool pictures, good integrated maps of all the trail lines, really easy to navigate. I really like the website. Thank you. I'm curious, from a traveler's point of view, what are some of your favorite train trips that you've been in on Asia over the years? Uh, the one in uh, Myanmar, which goes over that old viaduct, uh, which like built 100 years ago. That's mm. pretty special. And uh, I, I did that like, 10 years ago when they were sort of, uh, at that point you could just stick your camera out the window and not and get away with it. I, I was told that at that point you couldn't take any photos. So I was sort of one of the early, when they first opened up, I was like, oh, I've got to get a picture of this bridge. It's amazing. So I uh, really cool. enjoyed that. And obviously um, probably many overnight train trips in Bangkok down to the islands in the south are always fun just being in those old carriages with the ceiling fans like that just always blew my mind that they have a train with a fan just whirring very loudly <laughs> <laughs> and watching the the attendants build a bed for you out of these two seats that you were I didn't even know there was a bed there so I was like oh wow this is a really great adventure and um you know you're, you're bedraggled and sweaty the next morning but it was like oh this is a good way to arrive I wasn't so lucky my seat didn't turn into a bed I had the whatever the lowest class was with a little wooden uh, from Bangkok yeah. to Suratani for 12 hours in yeah. a little wooden. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, you know, again, I, we'll direct people to your website uh, with our show notes, but otherwise, uh, how can people learn more about you and, and what you're doing and what, what the future of the, the information you can share with the travelers coming to the region? For the future at Southeast Asia, Information, just the best thing to do is subscribe to my newsletter. It goes out once a week and I I put on the new articles there and I also do a roundup of all the news that's happening in Southeast Asia related to you know, transport and infrastructure. So if you want to find out updates on the trains and stuff like that, you will get a weekly update from me there. And for, for travel stuff, uh, Nomadic Notes is where I am. You can follow me there or on Twitter at Nomadic Notes and go from there. 
Fascinating work you do, James. And like Trevor said, the website's really great. Uh, earlier last week when planning this, I looked through it and I kind of ended up down a rabbit hole for quite a long time. So uh, listeners, check out those sites James mentioned. We'll have a Google map of these lines he's talked about. And thanks so much for making time for us, James. Thanks for having me. Thanks, James. Hey, Scott. You know, like, I, I know you've had more experience riding trains than I have. And, you know, when I was like, oh, another train episode, like, that could be fun. Because we had a good conversation with the man in seat 61. But, like, this was really exciting. Like, and his website's awesome. And I, and I, and I do like the idea of riding trains, both within cities and with it, like, across countries. So, like, yeah, James excited me about uh, what's happening in the region. Yeah, and he has fascinating stuff like on infrastructure beyond trains. But you realize that a lot of the regions we're talking about from southern China and the Lao border, you know, down to Bangkok isn't a whole lot different than going across a couple European countries. So, I mean, it's going to take a long time, but let's say in 20 years, it could be pretty gosh darn cool and, and frankly, faster than a plane on a like if the flight's even four hours, the time to go to an airport you know, wait for that plane, get on the plane, fly four hours. It could be just quicker to get on a, on a, on a train. So like the idea of going Phnom Penh to Bangkok in, you know, six, seven hours, or like he said, from Southern China to Bangkok fairly quickly, like long weekend in Luang Prabang from Bangkok. I mean, it, it's very exciting. I think it's really neat. And of course it would benefit local populations. We hope as well, just making it easier for local people to get around too. So my fingers crossed that governments find the money and dedicate the effort and resources to improving their lines. Yeah. Cause again, like, I mean, we've both lived in the region for 20 years and like they've been talking about building new trains in Cambodia for 20 years. The roads though, that's the thing. I brought that up at the beginning of our conversation with him. Like there is kind of this, like there's the road developers and there's the train developers and then there's the airlines, you know, and it's funny how like you'd think that like infrastructure development would be some sort of integrated strategy, but it's a race in some ways too. And as he was talking about like the train going through Laos and even here in Cambodia and, and in Bangkok, even just like seeing neighborhoods develop from where there's train stations, it reminded me of like America and like the 1800s or when the train first opened up these new frontiers because like a lot of Southeast Asia, Laos, Cambodia, like these parts that these train stations might go through are going to give great economic benefit to, to these communities and peoples. And it's going to reshape this continent or this part of the continent for sure. And it's going to happen in 20 years for sure. 10 years, maybe, you know, we'll see. Yeah, you bring up some interesting points and thinking about, say, Myanmar, Cambodia or Laos. I mean, roads are very important for shipping, you know, a lot of goods. Also, just local people going 50 kilometers or 100 kilometers point to point. You want a good road. But I wonder in certain terrains, like I, I know in northern Laos, there's a lot of limestone mountains in very tough conditions Crazy. where you might have that infrastructure leap kind of like phones. Like I know in a lot of this region, they didn't lay landlines. They just jumped straight to 3G towers in a lot of places. And of course, now we're beyond that. But I would imagine with some areas that are rugged, rough, tough terrain to build roads, they might just go train in certain areas. Other areas, they'll improve the roads or build new good roads. But there might be areas that will literally almost only be train accessible, I would imagine, in, in parts of this region. 
Yeah, especially in Laos, you know, any place or Vietnam where they have some of these big mountains, like you build a train that just shoots straight through it, tunnels and stuff like that, you know, like roads are challenging. Mm -hmm. But again, like a, this new road just opened up from Batambang to Bente uh, Minche and, and, and it looks amazing and I'm so excited to explore. So, you know, that's one of the interesting things is that, uh, you know, while like here in Asia compared to like North America, like development is still like raging on, like this region is still like growing and developing and and changing so quickly like you know like if people are away for two years before they come back to asia they're going to be surprised by like how much it's grown and developed uh, in the meantime absolutely and i mean roads uh, literally change by the year you look on google maps one year and it's a dirt road and but it's actually sealed now so it'll change quick it'll open up things it'll change some places for the better in others opinion maybe for the worse but it was super interesting to have james on and and know that the future of travel and, and these countries is really changing um, if you've enjoyed what you're listening to please go to patreon.com become a patron in between episodes we give all of our patrons who sponsor the show from as little as a dollar all the way up to multiple hundreds special little episodes to listen links to photos we supply them with a special little private thing every two weeks so please do that we're going to have a google map noting the places we talked about some neat links on the show notes so check those out trevor why don't you take us out of this thing yeah you covered a lot of bases there scott so i'm glad that uh, everybody listened to another episode and we hope you enjoy the show so please donate if you can or give us Give us some stars. You can give us four stars. I'll be happy with four stars if you only thought this was a four-star episode. But just give us some time to rate it. Five stars, even better. Um, and, and the best of all would be if you came back and listened to us again in two weeks. So thanks for meeting and chatting with me, Scott. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Camp